0: For fundamental and deeply rooted psychological reasons, as well as more mundane, utilitarian considerations, it is characteristic of man to bury that which he fears and wishes to rid himself of. In the past, this ingrained pattern of behavior has generally proven harmless and, indeed, has often left man to restore to the earth the substances he had removed from it. In today's industrialized society, however, the routine practice of burying highly toxic chemical wastes has resulted in serious threats to the environment and to public health. That was part of the case opinion in 1981 from Stanley Brotman, a former federal judge in New Jersey. He was talking about the prices, a family who knowingly allowed toxic chemicals to be dumped near an aquifer on their landfill in Pleasantville, New Jersey. Well, the dirt on the Price's had been repeatedly dug up, and for decades, it seemed like the scars would never fade. But Price's pit, referred to as the grandfather of Superfund sites, was not only turned into a musical, I kid you not, but has gotten a makeover as a renewable energy facility that could actually help fight climate change. This is Hazard, a limited series about the impacts of climate change on Superfund sites here in New Jersey. I'm Jordan Gosporé, an investigative journalist from Texas. As a kid, I would go to my family's ranch in the Texas Hill Country during the summer. It was no longer an operating ranch, and there were no longhorns or horses, sorry. Because the ranch was in the middle of nowhere at the time, we would burn and bury our trash. Sometimes I'd be digging holes around the property, because that's what we did for fun, and I'd find old glass bottles, nails, and other stuff my ancestors buried. Our trash united us in this struggle to, on one hand, bury the past, and on the other, leave these remnants behind to be found later as a reminder of our existence. Drip, drip, drip. Back in the early 70s, chemical waste leached from the bottom of Price Landfill, through the sandy soil underneath, and into the personal wells of residents in the small town of Pleasantville. Traces of benzene, thallium, and arsenic creeped closer and closer to the wellfield that supplied drinking water to nearby Atlantic City, before contaminating a segment of the wellfield a mile away from the site. This is how an Atlantic County health official described the problem back in 1981.
1: It's clear that a large quantity of chemicals is in the ground and is moving in the direction of the Atlantic City well field, and this is certainly uh, extreme cause for concern.
0: This contamination was so bad that even decades later, former New Jersey governor, the late Jim Florio, cited it as one of the worst of the worst. This is how he described the site to me in an interview before he died.
1: Price's Pit, which is uh, down in Atlantic City, it was a pollution that was headed towards the aquifer. And if we got to the aquifer, you'd have bad water for the half of South Jersey.
0: Atlantic City had little choice but to abandon its wells in favor of a new field site. Many residents of the unincorporated communities near Price Landfill were not hooked up to any municipal water system. Instead, they relied on individual private wells.
2: Did you drink it and it gives you pain in the stomach?
0: Yeah, right here.
2: Really? Have you been to the doctor? No. It only
0: happens when I drink the water. At the time, residents of nearby Egg Harbor Township flew white flags three days a week to signal their need to have water delivered. Each household received 15 gallons of water each delivery day. This event may have happened in the 1980s, but the site still leaves a bad taste in the mouths of some locals. Price Landfill, affectionately known as Price's Pit, was one of the first designated Superfund sites in the country. It's taken decades to clean up the 26-acre site as lawsuits wound their way through the courts and a tangle of federal and state agencies worked out a permanent fix to the toxic stew. Price Landfill was started by Charles Price as a sand and gravel mining operation in 1960, before it became a commercial solid waste landfill in 1971. Common practice at landfills in the 1970s was to dump chemicals on top of the trash, because the trash would act as a filter. The trash, of course, didn't filter anything. Chemical waste was openly poured from an open spigot on tank trucks, and drums were buried in shallow pits underneath the trash. Some of these drums are reported to have been punctured. Liquid waste from the Atlantic City Electric Company and at least 36 other companies was disposed on the site for eight years. By the time the landfill closed, The EPA determined that 9 million gallons of toxic waste had been dumped. Yes, I said 9 million gallons. The damage had been done, and according to court documents, Charles Price knew about it all along. He worked at the site from 1969 until it closed in 1976 supervising other workers and directing them to dispose of the waste that contaminated the groundwater, soil, and nearby creeks. Charles Price, known to his family and friends as Bub, was an interesting man. I'll let his niece, Dawn
1: Price Brown, describe him. Bub was a jerk, and my whole family was pretty much, you know, they were bad, all of them. (laughs) So I'm sorry.
0: Dawn wrote a screenplay about her family's involvement with the Superfund site. It's called The
1: Price of Dirt. Go to sleep, little town. Wake up tomorrow with no frown. Life is simple. Shoot the breeze. Walk to the bay. Do as you please. Those who live here, friendly and such, ain't got much money but lots of luck. Yet X is waiting.
0: X, by the way, is Bub, Charles Price. He'd sign
1: his name with an X with no fear, money he wants, land to clear, life's unsure what will remain, dump it all, forget the blame, think nothing of it. Those
0: are lyrics from one of the songs Don wrote for The Price of Dirt, the musical which never got produced. But digging up this family history was a forced reckoning for
1: Don. The people said they couldn't go outside because they would get sick, they couldn't take a bath, they couldn't wash their clothes because their clothes were yellow, and It said here that the chickens were dying and the windows were shut because of the stink. The search turned up hard truths. Bob would tell these people like Atlantic City Electric and whatever to come after nine o'clock into the pit. And the entrance was, I think it's on Fire Road in Pleasantville. And they would give him an envelope and he would let them dump their crap in there, their chemicals. Mm
0: The dumping went on for years, eventually leaving water undrinkable for dozens of neighbors. Atlantic City leaders panicked about the future of the resort's water supply. In the end, 49 companies were held liable for the damage done at the site, including Atlantic City Electric, DuPont, Ford Motor Company, General Mills, and Procter & Gamble. The contaminated wells, or those thought to be threatened with contamination, were shut down those 37 households switched from well to utility water. The EPA got involved with the site's cleanup in 1982. A year later, Price Landfill was added to the national priorities list, becoming one of the country's first Superfund sites. And the EPA has been continuing to monitor and treat the groundwater ever since. In 2013, a $50 million wastewater treatment facility was built across the street from the site to remove the majority of the toxic chemicals from the groundwater. It works by having wells at varying depths on the site pump the groundwater to the treatment plant. Once there, the water is treated and then released into the Atlantic Ocean. The EPA estimates it'll take at least 25 years and about $70 million before the groundwater is clean. Perry Katz, EPA project manager for Price Landfill, says the site's cap and wastewater treatment facility have helped prevent any further contamination.
2: Nobody's drinking the groundwater. You know, there's no landfill gas emanating from the landfill. You know, vapor intrusion was addressed a while ago by the state of New Jersey. There's no issue there. So, you know, from our perspective, any potential exposures are, you know, they're not there.
0: Many of the treatment facility systems are automated, which means if anything goes haywire in the middle of the night, staff can remotely try and fix it before going to the office. This facility treats about 10 to 12 gallons of water a month, breaking down those toxic chemicals from the Superfund site. As part of the overall cleanup, Perry says the site was capped in 2015 to keep chemicals in place to prevent them from spreading.
2: It's a multi-layer, impermeable cap, uh, proven technology, you know, you'd have to have a pretty substantial event to start talking about layers of the cap being disrupted to the point where anything would be exposed. That's what would have to happen before you start worrying about any of the contents of the landfill moving around.
0: Decades after Atlantic City avoided the crisis of poison drinking water from the Price's pit pollution, the city now faces a more existential threat, rapid sea level rise. The ocean and bays surrounding Atlantic City are creeping up nearly twice as fast as the global average. These days, highways leading into town regularly flood, as do many of the low-lying neighborhoods. By 2050, Federal scientists predict Atlantic City will face up to 110 days of sunny-day flooding each year. Slowing sea level rise means stopping climate change, and the key to that is to stop the burning of fossil fuels. In this way, Price's pit may be a bright spot in the Superfund program. Today, Price landfill is an innocuous grassy field with a fence around it. It looks like any other Superfund site, except for the hundreds of solar panels. Price's pit has found new life as a solar farm, generating some of the carbon-free electricity that climate experts say we so desperately need. This is part of a trend to reuse former toxic sites. Perry says the land isn't suitable for much else.
2: There's a, you know, kind of the greater good benefit where you're using renewable energy to put into the, you know, to the energy grid there's beneficial reuse to the landfill. You know, We wouldn't be building houses out there, but in the context of what type of beneficial use is available, I mean, from an economic standpoint, this is more beneficial than if it were just a walking trail, which they do at some landfills. You're limited in what you can do once they're cleaned up in the sense that they're you know, capped and contained. So, you know, this works all the way around, really, and it doesn't impede anything we're trying to do.
0: The contaminated groundwater still at the site means that breaking ground isn't an option. But it is still possible to put solar panels on top of the old dump. The solar panels at Price Landfill began operating in mid-2020 and produce enough power for about 420 households every year. That idea is gaining traction across New Jersey and the U.S. According to the EPA, at least 12 Superfund sites in the state and at least 57 across the country, have been redeveloped as renewable energy infrastructure.
3: Definitely a popular one is solar, because a lot of these properties are large and flat, and that's really the most feasible property that you're looking at for a solar project.
0: That's Jackie Kondrick. She's the EPA's remedial project manager who oversees the redevelopment of Superfund sites in New Jersey.
3: Solar is really a great option because there's not much else you could do with it. We want to use these sites that would otherwise not be used likely at all. Condrick says locals
0: benefit economically from putting solar panels on Superfund sites in their communities.
3: I think there's multiple benefits. One is a more affordable energy, hopefully. There's also jobs that come in through doing those projects. And there's a program through the Superfund Redevelopment Program that actually helps train people to do the cleanup at the sites and to facilitate these types of reuse, too.
0: Superfund sites dot the garden state, and many of them are becoming solar farms. Not far from Price's pit, the Delilah Road Superfund site became home to a solar farm in 2016. Solar panels now cover large parts of the infamous Siba Geige site in Toms River. And just last month in North Jersey, the Comb Fill North Superfund site became the largest landfill solar conversion in North America. The site has more than 50,000 solar panels, enough to generate electricity to power 4,000 homes. These projects and others like them are critical to reaching a newly set state target. The goal is to build 40 megawatts worth of solar power on landfills and other contaminated sites in the next three years. In the push to fight climate change, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy wants the state to be powered completely by clean energy by 2050. Speaking at the Comb Fill site in 2021, he emphasized the potential of polluted places to be redeemed.
2: For most of its life, this site represented our throwaway culture with all the long-term challenges that that way of living produced. But today, it represents a more sustainable and energy-resilient New Jersey and all the opportunities that we are just beginning to realize.
0: Hazard is a space not just for learning about Superfund sites, but for engaging our communities in conversation around the cleanup of these toxic places. Do you have questions about Superfund sites in New Jersey? Do you live near one? If so, I want to hear from you. Send me an email at hazard at mynjpbs.org or leave me a voice memo at 212-560-8081. We may play your comments in a future episode. Hazard NJ is an NJ Spotlight News production. The show is written, edited, and hosted by me, Jordan Gosporé. Jamie Kraft is the executive producer with NJ Spotlight News. Our executive in charge of production is Joe Lee. Michael Saul Warren is our producer. Chloe Matisse is our production manager. Our sound designer and engineer is Mark Bush. Music for Hazard NJ was composed by Nick Pennington. Artwork by Matthew Fleming. Support for Hazard NJ is provided by Peril and Promise, a public media reporting initiative covering the human stories of climate change and its solutions with major funding provided by Dr. P. Roy Vagelos and Diana T. Vagelos. You can learn more at pbs.org forward slash peril and promise.